0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Christ and Coffee podcast, bringing the church together one coffee hour conversation at a time. Today, we are celebrating the 50th episode of the Christ and Coffee episode. That is five zero fifty episodes. And what better way to celebrate the Christ and Coffee podcast than talking about the Book of Leviticus? So we're talking about Leviticus, that book of the Bible where you decide to read the Bible throughout the year. You read Genesis you read Exodus, and then you get to Leviticus, and you stop reading. The goal of this episode is to make sure you keep reading. So we're going to cover the book of Leviticus. Jeremy, what's up, my friend? Congratulations. We did it. 50 episodes.
1: 50 episodes. I'm doing well, and I'm fighting off a cold. So if my voice sounds kind of Barry Manilow today, it's because I'm fighting off a cold that my daughter
0: brought back from preschool so fun times that's not, not not a voice change for the 50th episode
1: not a voice change for the 50th episode i'm not living into my broadcasting identity today yeah, okay that's good i you, <laughs> you i
0: think we forgot that we could get like sick from other things after this year i know right i know and this pandemic is uh what kind of caused this podcast to start we yeah like, it is hey let's let's right. do a podcast <laughs>
1: that's right that's right we, called each other after being stuck indoors and said, let's start recording yeah what better way to celebrate 50 episodes than reading leviticus i had a professor who called leviticus the graveyard of uh good intentions it's like like you said the bible plan for the year and then you get to leviticus and you're like nah maybe not yeah yeah yeah
0: so let's jump right back into it then so like what does the word leviticus mean
1: yeah leviticus is a it's from latin Leviticon and it came from the Septuagint, which was Greek, and basically it just means Levites who were the priestly tribe. And that's kind one of it. the
0: main uh, themes of this book. It's like this ministry manual. Like for me, like when I was a young pastor, the ministry manual was boring to read when I was in seminary. But then it's like, oh my gosh, the thing is so helpful when I do the rituals of the weddings, funerals, mm-hmm. baptisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you name it, there's this manual available to me to help sure I'm not mis- making something up or m- yeah. missing something out. Uh, and like part of a large part of Leviticus is this ministry manual for the Levite family clan who are called to be this tribe of priests for the people. That's
1: right. That's right. Yeah. And
0: so that's
1: the Greek and the Latin name for the book. In the Hebrew, they literally, in all the books of the bible in the old testament in hebrew are named after the first word in that in that book so uh in in hebrew uh in the in the old ancient name for the text is vaikra which literally means god called um so yeah interestingly the whole book is kind of a public calling of the priests and and a public a sharing of their responsibilities and the rituals they're supposed to perform. Uh, the second half of the book, though, basically, I think from, so if chapters one through 16 are kind of about the priestly tribes and their ministry manual, the second half of the book uh, is more geared towards the congregation and the people and how they're supposed to be uh, holy, like God is holy. Um, and so the second half of the book is a little bit more public, but in both readings uh everyone is involved in in the hearing of the text so it's like just because you're not a levite a levite priest doesn't mean that uh you're off the hook
0: reading the book yeah it wasn't just for one tribe it was for all 12 tribes right uh, right but there but there's a specific roles of the the levite clan mm-hmm. now I, this is something that like fascinates me um lineages of clergy mm. so you're third generation clergy mm-hmm. does it go further back as far as i know i i got three generations i don't know how far it goes back after that yeah like so i thought i didn't like because when i became ordained that that was a common question like other armenians would ask me it's like oh they assumed that like my dad was a pastor mm. um i had a cousin of my great grand my grandfather who was a priest so the people just assumed that i was the grandchild but it's like family but not direct but then like After my ordination, I found out that, like, I come from a long line of Derhar's uh, Armenian Orthodox priests from Marash. Hmm. Like, it goes back a few generations. But then, like, a couple of years ago, I had a random cousin from Toronto visit the church. And she's, like, a geneticist. And it's like, no, it goes way further back, like, (laughs) generations upon generations. It was the family business Hmm. in the town of Marash to be Derhar's. And, like, my grandmother is from that line. Um, and I get my curly hair from that line. So there it's like know. really fascinating, like this concept of like clergy life as a family business. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's
1: also it's also counterintuitive to us as modern readers. Exactly. Right? Like, uh, we stress this like concept of calling and agency and making the decision to be in a certain profession or a certain role and yeah early on in the bible it seems like at least for the levites as the priests which seems odd to us it's like yeah you're part of the family you're part of the priesthood you just that's the whole family is called to do this this task so yeah it is kind of interesting it is something like culturally i want to note that like the book of leviticus is counterintuitive to most of our modern sensibilities like there's sacrifices there's you know hashing things in the language of clean and unclean and stuff like that and it sounds odd to like modern readers and i think that might be why some people just gloss over it
0: right yeah i think it's a combination of that and just like instructions on that weird thing so it's mm-hmm. like yeah. i don't need to i don't know i don't need to learn how to sacrifice an animal like you don't even do that and then yeah. it goes into detail yeah. about it and then it's, just like, it's like a double whammy of instructions and just foreign to our ears yeah,
1: yeah. It's like Ikea instructions on how to like cut the animal and put it into the offering. Who who likes
0: Ikea instructions?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say something culturally about it though, that like, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, there is a sort of like respect factor that we hold when we visit somebody else's country or when we visit somebody else's territory. Like when, when, you know, if I go to, you know, Italy, let's say, and I land in Italy, I want to like I want to know everything about their culture. Like I want to respect their way of being in the world. Like I'm not going to go to Italy and look for like a Pizza Hut or like look for macaroni grill or something in Italy. Like I want to live in their world. I want to experience the way they see things and so when we read biblical texts, I think it's important for us to remember that it may sound weird and odd to us, but it really didn't to the world that it was written to. Like In fact, a lot of what's in Leviticus is in other like ancient Near East texts, like it's not unfamiliar. And in fact, that's kind of a problem for some scholars they are like, hey, like this isn't novel. And these people are supposed to be kind of a unique religion in the in the community of religions in the day. So I guess all that's to say, like, have some respect and empathy for the text when you enter into it it's not going to look like the 21st century but that's
0: what's so great about some of these texts yeah absolutely and like cs Lewis has a great line about this it's called chronological snobbery Mm. where you think Mm. your your time of your place in human history is superior to others Mm. um and that's not always the case i mean (laughs) i guarantee you there's gonna be parts of our generation people are gonna really look down upon as weird and barbaric or just foreign um but yeah but i think it's important too. like to stress the importance of like who they're worshiping who why are they making these sacrifices mm-hmm. what is considered holy and unholy as really the the main theme of leviticus like this mm-hmm. this called people who are taken out of slavery who are brought in the wilderness god is like you said like last episode like God is taking the Egypt out of them <laughs> during mm-hmm. this, this Exodus period where they're like stripping away from these Egyptian deities to, to worship the one true deity. And um, in this process, God is saying, I'm calling you to be a holy people, not just uh, the, the Levites, but as a, a whole, I want you to be holy. And if you slip up, if you by, by circumstance or by will you, you sin, I you need to go through this detailed process of making sure your sin is dealt with. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think well, I, I guess, yeah, if you if you take a look at the whole book, there's kind of a constellation of different themes that touch each other. And and one of them is definitely the the language of holiness, right? Like the holiness is the theme throughout the book. But I don't know that people really understand that language so maybe we can start there like what do we mean when we use the word
0: holy yeah so it's like completely other completely pure um completely divine mm-hmm. Um, like the standard for what god wants us to be is holy um so if it's completely other then there's this notion that i also want you to be completely other i don't want you to be like corrupted or impure or part of the world but um, but but separated
1: right i think when a lot of people think or hear the word holiness they think of like being morally upright or being like a good person i think that's part of it to some degree but i think holiness has this bigger picture of like being in communion with god who is other like who is Mm -hmm. set apart right so part of that is moral you know morally up Upright, uh, and but but there's also just this aspect of being different and unique in the world because you've come into contact with God, like when Moses sits up on the mountain with God, he comes down and his face is shining, right? Like he catches some of God's holiness and glory. Um, there's a there's a line that like I think it's well, I think the Bible Project, if if people are familiar with the Bible Project, they do a good job of comparing holiness to the sun where like the sun kind of radiates this like really powerful life-giving presence but it can be very dangerous right like if you get too close to the sun it burns you Mm -hmm. and so yeah this idea of holiness as being like this divine presence and energy that requires you to change and be different but also doesn't just mean like morally good if that Mm -hmm. makes sense
0: yeah, like so like at the center of this nomadic group in the wilderness is the holiness of God in the tabernacle. Like like literally right. there's God's presence who's holy with them. Right. And all these rules and rituals are just to maintain close proximity to that which is holy. Hmm. And sin gets yeah. in the way of that proximity. Like that's like that's why like we talk about sin all the time as preachers is because it's like it prevents you from this interaction with the one who's holy.
1: Right. Yeah, and and proximity is a way to say nearness and like, like intimacy, right? Like communion. And so I guess the if we were to kind of hinge together the themes of, you know, the whole book, ritual, purity, priesthood, around that idea of holiness, then really the book is trying to figure out how we can be intimate with a God who's good and also dangerous, right? Like who's good. It's like, uh, again, I guess, C.S. Lewis, you reminded me of C.S. Lewis. When when they talk about Aslan, and they they ask the kids ask him, "Is Aslan safe?" And he's like, "Yeah, he's he's anything but safe, but he's good, <laughs> right?" Like, and so I think, uh, yeah, it's important to make that that distinction that the book is trying to to engage us in intimacy with God, who is extremely good, but
0: also can be potentially dangerous. Yeah, and I, I think when we preach like sin salvation, like when I preach on sin, it's like, my goal is not to shame you or to like guilt trip you. My goal is to get you close to God, like, mm-hmm. you know, as the priest, as the, as the one who's proclaiming the message. And the only way we do that is through Jesus Christ who's now the sacrifice once and for all, and also the high priest who is able to get us into that which is holy, because mm-hmm. uh, he is holy. Um, like, the, the, the goal is practically, like, all right, confess your sins, because this is going to make your life better. <laughs> like, just, just confess it. God's going to forgive you, but just don't ignore it. Take it seriously, but yeah. confess it. There's a solution here, and it's going to really help your spiritual walk. Like, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that in Leviticus, not everything that is described as clean or unclean has to do with being sinful or not sinful. Right. When you get into Leviticus, um, there's lots of things that are unclean that have nothing to do with moral goodness or or the opposite, moral evil. Um, They're just things, for some reason, that we don't really even understand or know that were considered unclean. And again, it's the language of drawing near to God's presence and energy after having come into contact with something that is unclean. It doesn't mean that you're morally evil, but when you come into the presence, it's like it's dangerous. Uh, there's been some research that says like the things they're supposed to avoid have to do with death and death coming into contact with life, you know, it's just dangerous. And I mean, I don't know, I don't know how far you can take that, but to a degree, it, it has more to do with coming into proximity to God's, you know, divine presence with contact of these unclean things in hand. So it's about preparation. I mean, that's another aspect of Leviticus. It's like intentional preparation for contact with God, which I think is something we take lightly today in the 21st century, right?
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean coming
1: into God's presence isn't something we really fear. Or prepare for it's sometimes just something we like
0: yeah okay i mean i i would love it if our churches like would like in the in army armenian epistolic tradition we were evangelicals but we come from this tradition where like you were supposed to fast before you go to church on sunday you're supposed to um confess your sins make mm-hmm. that up to date uh you're supposed to like make sure there's un- not unforgiveness in your hearts towards your brothers and sisters Then you worship God in this preparation into this holiness encounter every week. Um, It it being the central part of the worship is the communion and the preaching of the word. Mm. Um, It's like this preparation, this anticipation of being excited to be with God and God's people. I mean, that really is the, the real kicker for every church, regardless of the tradition. Like, are we prepared? to worship are we anticipating mm-hmm. this moment of uh, inter- interacting the holy spirit uh in this moment of time um and i really think that's the kicker like how how, how do we motivate people to have that sort of mindset going into mm-hmm. church and if people have that mindset i think these negative things about church you wouldn't be hearing about because it it'd be like in you'd be delighting in that which is holy
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you have to prepare
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and there's also a lot
1: of sacrifices in Leviticus, and I think sometimes we just uh, lump in all sacrifice with some sort of payment for sin or something like that, or like asking for God's forgiveness. And some of them are, there's this big day in Leviticus called the Day of Atonement, where Mm -hmm. they do that, there's an offering for sin. But there are other offerings, like offerings don't always have to do with sin, they have to do with Thanksgiving, sometimes they're just a free will offering where somebody's thankful for God, and they just drop stuff off as a sacrifice. Um, It's not always animals, sometimes it's wheat, sometimes it's, you know, just money, you know, it's just it's a different, it's a different thing each time. So there's a lot of different ways um, sacrifices are integrated into Leviticus. And a lot of times, it's just you know thankfulness for god's goodness and god's provision for the community
0: yeah the whole first part is just details of these various sacrifices mm. um and how to do it and why to do it and it's not just yeah not usually i think when people preach on it they usually refer to the day of atonement like you said yeah uh, and then we leave out the other ones and i mean day of atonement is huge yeah um, but but the other ones are just as
1: important it's also uh, still celebrated um, as most of these festivals are in the Jewish community, but yeah. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're familiar
0: with that day. And- well, I'm definitely familiar with that day because of missing school in New York. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, like school starts in the fall and they're like, oh, the high holidays are around the corner. No yep, school. This go. is great. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
1: Um, um. So yeah, there's also those festivals, right? There's all sorts of festivals towards the end of Leviticus. Mm -hmm. um and those all become helpful in understanding the rhythm of time that israel's supposed to live by right it pays off when you get especially to the gospel of john um a lot of john's gospel is structured around these festivals that jesus takes in on himself and says
0: i'm what these were anticipating yeah absolutely so like it begins with these ritual sacrifices and then it like uh, the second half ends like we talk about these high holidays, these festivals, and like we, we're, we just had Memorial Day weekend. Like this mm. is the unofficial beginning of summer a uh, time to remember the fallen soldiers. Mm. Um, like there's this rhythm to, to American life mm-hmm. with these holidays, they anchor it. And Memorial Day begins summer usually and then Labor Day ends summer. It's a season of enjoying the, the, the summer days yeah um so like yeah each culture has a rhythm and rituals and the holidays play a huge anchor points to all that like we do christmas on our, our january 6th and that usually makes us a little unique as our for our mean our meaning christian spirituality mm. um so yeah these these holidays we, th- we just take it for granted i mean we have american thanksgiving that, that makes americans unique um i'm trying to think i know canada has thanksgiving i think around our columbus day and, and then we revisited the columbus Day. we were like no let's not let's yeah. not celebrate yeah. that anymore
1: yeah 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 so like i think a helpful way to read uh well first of all one thing the church has a calendar year mm-hmm. and we follow we've talked about that how we we carve up our time according to the life death and resurrection of jesus and so, ascension and ascension yeah um We carve out our time according to the the Christ event in human history, and the Jewish calendar year organizes itself around the giving of the law in Sinai and the covenant that's made there. So that's one thing. Um, But I also think on a bigger picture, when we read Leviticus, a helpful way to structure it, or at least to conceptualize it, is that it's creating a grid to understand life in sacred spaces, sacred things, and sacred times. And so carving out those three things, like when you're reading Leviticus, you can be like, all right, what's the big picture here? (laughs) Like, what are all these sacrifices about? It's like, oh, they're entering sacred space and these sacrifices are making provisions. Like, why are we reading about this holiday? Oh, it's sacred time. supposed to remind them of what God has done, keeping them in the rhythm and reflection on what that means for their daily life. So I just think sacred space, sacred things, sacred time, it's just a helpful way to kind of interact with the book.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Um, I think you like with the intention of keeping that sacred covenant healthy right like it's all relational at the end of the day it's like all these things are here to make sure that relationship that covenant with God is preserved right right and you read a book like Leviticus differently than you do
1: the gospels or even the rest of the Torah like when you read Genesis and Exodus they're stories and then you get to Leviticus and it's like instructions on yada 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 yada. Mm -hmm. so like I, i was just reading a comment by a scholar that was saying when you when you read this ritual literature you're supposed to be asking the questions what is the what is the worldview or the life that is being embodied in this ritual so what is the picture that's being practiced in this little micro ritual of sacrifice of thanksgiving offering of the festival like what is what is the bigger picture like celebration and story that is being distilled down in this little micro ritual that's taking place so don't go into leviticus thinking you're going to read it like the gospels you know you're going to ask different questions
0: than you would um reading any other story or narrative all right right absolutely uh are there any like favorite parts you have jeremy like in leviticus that highlights you enjoy Oh man, my absolute favorite part of Leviticus is in
1: Leviticus 25 where they describe a thing that's supposed to happen that is never recorded as happening in the Bible <laughs> and it's called the year of jubilee and I love this concept. It's so pattern throughout Leviticus is the language of sevens because of sabbath rest. So there's supposed to be a sabbath every seventh day of the week to reflect on, you know, God's resting on the seventh year, there's supposed to be a Sabbath rest for the land. So every seventh year on that seventh year, there's supposed to be a rest for the land. So nobody harvest or nobody um, sows anything. Nobody works the land. The land just rests. And then on the seventh, seventh of years. So on the 49th year, In the seventh month of that year, uh, there's supposed to be this thing called the year of Jubilee. And it's basically a total reset uh, financially, um, structurally, for all of Israel to reset back to how things were. Um, So anybody who had debt obligations, those were forgiven. Anybody who was enslaved because of obligations to the debt... That they go back to their own land, all of the land reverts back to its original owners. So, you just think about like the effect that has on record keeping, <laughs> on structuring the economy, on structuring the political like guidelines for the people. It, it ha- like, it's just such an interesting concept. And when you think about again what I was saying, the whole sense of like what is the worldview behind that ritual, it's that the land is God's, the money is God's. The people are God, <laughs> like none of this belongs to you. So at the end of the day, when it gets to that year of Jubilee, it's like, boom, everything goes back to the beginning and everybody gets to celebrate sort of a restoration and a new start again. And I just think that's such a beautiful concept that um, unfortunately was never even recorded in the history of uh, the, the Jewish Old Testament as have, ever happening. I mean, it never seems like
0: it was recorded as it taking place. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, too, that pattern of seven and then the seventh day, meaning rest and completion and the yeah. restoration.
1: Yeah, um, there's some there's some speculation that when Jesus gets up in the temple and not in the temple, sorry, in the synagogue in Luke, when he announces his launching of his ministry that he's referring to, not just Isaiah, but that Isaiah is even referring to kind of this year of Jubilee. Mm-hmm. um so you could read what jesus does as the enacting of this jubilee year um that's one way to kind of frame or filter what jesus is doing but yeah but it's anyway, that's my favorite part of leviticus it's like a breath of fresh air when you get to the end and you hear this story of like how things should be you're like oh there's the payoff like i got all the way to the end and there's something really good here yeah yeah
0: yeah absolutely yeah what about you what's uh highlight for you something you really enjoy I, I like the notion of accidental sins <laughs> and how <laughs> accidental sins need to be forgiven uh, so like say you're driving and like you run over a your neighbor's cat or something Yeah. <laughs> like it was an accident I, I still need to ask god to forgive me for my accidental sin mm-hmm. uh, i can't like so I, I think that's important even like if we do something stupid by accident we just need to own up to it so yeah. i just love how there's like this whole section on it
1: <laughs> yeah like this is what you do if you accidentally hurt your neighbor or yeah. yeah that's so funny it's interesting that all of those things have to do with even in the accident there there is an injustice done to somebody so yeah. how do you how do you right the wrong in the yeah that's so interesting
0: you still like take responsibility for it like yeah. i think that's that's key here too you it's like you take responsibility for your actions even your accidental actions. Accident.
1: <laughs> yeah 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 i like yeah. that too what's something that's difficult for you in the text i think there's plenty of places to trip up but yeah, what, what yeah. Do you so specifically
0: so oftentimes when you get to the day of atonement they use the scapegoat language mm. um but that's not really in the hebrew from my understanding i definitely want to delve more into it but it's like a sacrifice to azizel like a demon <laughs> <laughs> so so like for me that's really exciting because a lot of the early church theories on atonement were about ransom theory which is like part of christ's sacrifice was to free us from the bondage of satan Mm -hmm. so going to atonement and viewing it from that spiritual lens Mm -hmm. really like not only makes more sense from the the timeline of back then but also for me like the spiritual dynamic of atonement which often gets neglected and 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 atonement theories or these sacrifices Mm -hmm. um so i think that's something i i I think is something i want to study more and Mm -hmm. and learn but it's kind of weird but Mm -hmm. uh, i think it's really important because i think it'll really flesh out some of the significance of the day of atonement mm. um back then and also with our understanding of the day of atonement mm. um with jesus christ being the the once and for all sacrifice mm. um so so i think that that's really interesting to know your hebrew versus how translators kind of like sometimes all right this doesn't make sense let's just throw in some weird let's let's, let's throw let's throw in some words yeah. to make sense of this passage yeah yeah um, but yeah, there's definitely the substitutionary aspect in in uh in, in these sacrifices, which is key mm, um yeah. but yeah, I think another interesting passage is um the sons of Aaron committing mm. uh uh a sacrifice they they didn't follow the instructions properly they brought in this strange fire and uh it led to them being killed so
1: mm. yeah that's always that's, that's always, always fun to grapple with. But it's again, this thing of like God being good and also dangerous. Right. So like, yeah, they came into contact unprepared and without instruction. And yeah, that's the, in the world of that culture, that that meant death, that was destruction.
0: Right. It's like, you didn't follow the the manual. (laughs) You brought in the die. The consequence, it's consequence. Yeah. 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 You're dealing with danger here. I think that's probably
1: the difficult thing for me to understand in Leviticus. It's not a specific text, but the whole like worldview of Leviticus is um, by nature, very kind of black and white. And so sometimes it's hard for me to, to grapple with. Um, I also think I, I want to understand better. It's not necessarily that it's difficult, but I want to better understand the world in which these stories or these rituals were prescribed um so again it goes back to like being a being a vacationer a traveler you want to understand the place you're going to and i want to understand that a little better like i was just reading about how other ancient near east cultures had similar sacrificial systems and they conceptualized them as like the altar was the table that you were laying the sacrifices in for the the god to eat from (laughs) right and um I don't know. I just, that's interesting to me to like plot that within the culture and understand the differences and the similarities and how that like bears fruit for understanding. I mean, rituals that we perform. I mean, we perform a ritual at a table um, either every Sunday or every month, depending on your church tradition, we sit around a table and we break bread and we celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the bread and the cup. And so it just strikes me as interesting if i can start to understand a little bit of this world how can i filter it through the lens of our cultural experience and make it meaningful for us today
0: right and then and doing so too it kind of magnifies like what jesus did and mm-hmm. like because it's mm-hmm. hard to understand the, the gospel without going into this stuff mm-hmm. then it could just be like symbolic nice love of jesus mm-hmm versus it actually doing something because mm-hmm. there's something innate about every civilization having some sort of structures of rituals with sacrifice in it it's just like yeah. a human thing yeah across the the the, the, the world so well, like what 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 is that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah and i also just think like we have this aversion to ritual but the irony is everything about our life is ritualed, mm-hmm. you know like i <laughs> I get up and make a coffee every morning like it's just something i do every morning without even thinking about it and we have these rituals around holidays and we have these rituals in our church like you know communion and eucharist like rituals are not bad in fact they perform our deepest beliefs like they put out in front of everybody
0: what we actually care about and value i think i think a more uh, secular w- w- word to use instead of rituals is just what are your habits <laughs> there you go yeah your habits like what, what, yeah. what are you doing like what What? what's automatic in your life yeah yeah whether it's uh time space what was the three that was pretty cool was time space and things, things. yeah what are <laughs> yeah. your habits with those three things
1: yeah well and even to think about habits and and um like the purpose of these rituals in leviticus is to make a habit of contact and intimacy with god in a Mm -hmm. way that is safe and relational so again to ask ourselves the questions what are the habits we have and are they perpetuating intimacy with god and are they welcoming this sort of connection and intimacy with the divine through jesus christ Yeah. Yeah. yeah um they're called spiritual disciplines
0: <laughs> spiritual there habits. you go yeah there you go <laughs> yeah.
1: i think um i i would i'd be amiss if i didn't mention this before we wrap up but people hate on leviticus and criticize leviticus and say it's like irrelevant and ridiculous and why do we even study it anymore but i don't know if anybody's noticed that i'm sure people have because it's come to my attention through other people but Uh, when somebody in the Gospels, I think three out of four of the Gospels have this encounter, when somebody comes up to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, which is from Deuteronomy. And then he quotes Leviticus, and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So So according to Jesus, Leviticus is one of the most important books in the Bible (laughs) to understand. What God wants and desires
0: for mankind. Not just like I don't know if this is like the like one of the earliest, if not the earliest, declarations of the Golden Rule, right there. Like it's there, it's in Leviticus, guys. Treat others there as you want do. to be treated. There you go. There you go. Uh, is that is that where we need to wrap up? Just end it on the Golden Rule. There you go.
1: <laughs> All right,
0: everyone. <laughs> Everybody, be good to your neighbors. Treat others as you want to be treated, and then Jesus fulfills <laughs> that and says, "This is what true." goodness is true holiness is right now that i'm going to sacrifice myself a new command i give you love others as i have loved you
1: yeah yeah
0: and then that 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 brings it to the fulfillment of that but that's huge uh that that line
1: yeah and maybe i don't know maybe we wrap it up this way and say if you haven't read leviticus uh try to read through some of it with kind of the tools we've given you here this this afternoon or this morning Mm -hmm. whenever this airs (laughs) i forget but um, or whenever you're listening and um, and feel free to reach out with questions or confusing things that don't make sense you can Facebook message us or drop us uh, links and emails we'd love to answer your questions yeah and the other thing
0: too is important too not just to cherry pick verses but read it in its entirety and understand the sections because I think that's part of the right dynamic too
1: yeah and to remember it as it's literally the spilling over of the exodus story Mm -hmm. like it literally reads just like, and God said, you know, it's like, it's not really another book. It's just a continuation of Exodus. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't know if they ran out of scroll space or something and they just started a new book or what it is, but it, it literally just kind of continues the bigger story of God redeeming a people for himself.
0: Absolutely. All right, everyone, 50 episodes in. Thank you for getting to the end of this episode. So grateful for all the listeners. Um, Thank you for listening. Don't just take our word for it. Read the good word yourself. Pick up the Bible. Um, Stay caffeinated, my friends. And thank you all for listening to the Christ and Coffee podcast. God bless you. Happy 50th.